There are now some extra chairs up in the loft, and there are fans up here. (laughs) Amidst all of the pageantry, all the symbolism, let us now uh, pray and ask God to give us Holy Spirit that will make this Easter be for us more than just ritual but let it be transforming to our lives. Let's pray together. Glory be to you, O God, who raised Jesus from the dead, who continues to speak and move and call women and men, boys and girls, to the work of love. May we this day, on this Easter Sunday, 2014, hear the old story in such a way that we are energized and equipped to be the people you need us to be for this time and place. Thank you for the promise of heaven and the hope of life eternal. May it be more to us than simply words. May these become deep truths that shape who we are through Christ. Amen. Ironically, it seems to me that of all the services and all of the seasons of the church here, where one can lose one's way again, Easter is that very place. What is it exactly that we're called upon to believe? There's this 2,000-year-old miracle. But even a miracle as profound as raising Jesus from the dead is really not much to hang your faith on, if that's all it is. It's a story. It's an old story. It's a story that we can't prove or substantiate. Terry and I watch television on occasion. We see these ads for the new Godzilla movie. Terry's anxious to see it. I'm not too keen on it. (laughs) There's buildings collapsing and cars being thrown this way and that and roads being uh, uh, dug up out of nowhere. And I turn to Terry and say, you realize, of course, this isn't real. This didn't happen. For it's hard to know sometimes in this day and age, in these Days of computer graphics, what's real? What's real? And yet all we have is an old story that we sing and read and dramatize at Easter. That and the church. In its many iterations in different languages, different forms of music, different expressions and symbols, different liturgies, 2,000 years of kind of crazy rules and crazy interpretations. You do not have to tell me or anyone who's been in the church very long about all the evils and failures of the global church, all the failures of churches, including this one, to not be the people that God would dream us to be. The pogroms and inquisitions and our resistance to science and our failure to love all people equally. And yet, at our best, sometimes, the church is at its best, and we can convey the notion that there is this divine intention of life that draws every generation forward into something that is new and life-giving and hopeful. People are still called and renamed and equipped and sent out to be ambassadors of this light, of this newness, of this yet-to-be-completed story and work of God. And so we have the implausible story, and we have this church that is sometimes on, sometimes off. 
Is that enough? Must we we rely on a 2,000-year-old story and an inconsistent church? Or might these be the avenues whereby we are given the possibility to see and experience Easter, resurrection, life from death, even today in our lives, in our, in our time. Paul wrote to the church at Corinth and said that Jesus Christ raised is the first fruits of those who have died. Which means, in a sense, that Jesus and his resurrection is a kind of down payment, a kind of token, a kind of first movement, a a paradigm of what God is always doing. God's always doing this. But in Jesus, we see it uniquely and clearly, an opening salvo in the battle against death. So that, in essence, what if Easter is not only a religious truth or a theological truth. It is those things. But if what if Easter wasn't only a religious truth or a theological truth, but rather the deepest conviction about all of life that we can see in 10,000 places every day, What if the church wasn't called to be simply the people who contain and keep and hoard this message of resurrection and life, but rather like the children of Israel long ago back in Genesis 12 when God called Abram and said, I will bless you, but through you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. What if the church was to be the carrier and the keeper and the celebrator of this story that we gathered together this Easter morning to celebrate, but that it's not ours alone. We're not to hoard it. We're not to patent it. We're not to say we have ownership privileges over this. This is God at work in the world. And it could be seen anywhere people with eyes to see are looking We listen to the evening news and we hear about the people of the Ukraine in Eastern Europe who are holding back forces of oppression and fear, refusing to shrink and be silenced. And those who have eyes to see can go, there's a glimmer of Easter in that story. We can hear the news report of the victims of the hater outside the Kansas City Jewish Community Center who does his violence with a gun only to find that the people he killed are Christians. Christians going to a Jewish community center to try out for a play called To Kill a Mockingbird, which is a story about radical inclusion. Those who have the eyes to see can say, hatred and fear and prejudice, your day is over. You keep watching the news, you see this woman who's being interviewed. Her little boy was one of the victims of the haters' violence. You you find out that her father was also there and was killed by the by the Klan man and 
you listen to her interview amidst this unspeakable grief, unspeakable grief, and you hear the words of gratitude and life and hope, and you wonder, is this a glimmer of resurrection, life out of death? We go a couple of times a week as a community of faith to Shelby Park and we encourage these children who live in a context that is often intriguing and inviting them to come and go the way of violence and and hatred. And here's another message that's being offered by young adults and others saying to them, there's a more excellent way. And when a child shows up just for one day, To say yes to this more excellent way, those who have the eyes to see. Resurrection. Life. Or maybe you don't have to look all that far. Maybe you can look in the mirror, look at the person next to you, the person close to you, who has had her or his life utterly changed. By this message of a God who so loves us that Jesus comes to show us the the heart of this love and to call us into this resurrection and life way. What if Easter was all around us? For those who have the eyes to see anywhere prejudice is being resisted, anywhere, anywhere that we recognize occasionally. The light bulb comes on and we recognize how often we let our institutions, our government, our corporations, sometimes even our faith communities, do our sinning for us. Systemic sin. We recognize it. Anywhere it's recognized. Anywhere you see love being born. Pictures this week of a family adopting another child into their home, taking this child from a future of despair and offering him a little life of love. You see it. And envisioned in this way, Easter becomes, well, really it becomes bigger than Christianity. It becomes bigger than Christianity. The church at our best, we recognize resurrection. We celebrate resurrection. We name it. We convey it. Occasionally, we even embody it. But we don't patent it. We don't hoard it. We don't keep it. We let it go and let it work, and we name it here, there, here, there, and we Allow others to join in the joy that life has hope. That God is not done. Doesn't that feel more like God? Doesn't that feel more like a God you would want to honor and love and follow rather than a God who would restrict Easter and resurrection only to those who believe it in one single right way? Isn't God big and beautiful and all-encompassing? 
So the challenge isn't for God. God's always doing the work of love. God's always out there creating worlds, liberating people, calling the children of Israel out of slavery in Egypt and into the promised land, calling prophets to speak the word of justice in the world, raising Jesus from the dead, calling a church and using people like you and me to do the work of love. The problem's never with God. The heart of love is always doing the work of love. The challenge... The challenge is for us to see it and name it and believe it, to find our way again and to, to join into it so that our destination becomes participating in this work of love and our directions are reshifted like a global positioning satellite system that recalibrates and helps us find our way again. Richard Rohr, that wonderful Franciscan priest, says that on Ash Wednesday, churches all over the land gather together. People line up and come before the ministers and the ministers take the ashes and make the sign of the cross on everyone's forehead and intone these words, remember that you are dust and to the dust you will return. It's a very important word. We, we did it right here not that many weeks ago. It's a very important word. But Rohr says on Easter morning, we ought to line everybody up again and make the sign of the cross on their forehead again, only this time with anointing oil, and say to them, love is stronger than death, and unto that love you have been returned yet again. It's a great word. Paul Tillich says that the kingdom of God and resurrection doesn't come in one single dramatic event, but rather it's coming here and now. In every act of love, in every manifestation of the truth, in every moment of joy, in every experience of the holy. And you have those. Folks, you have those. You don't have to come here to experience the holy. I'm glad you're here because we name the holy. We name the trinity. We name all that is the mystery. But when you go out into the worship that is your lives, you experience the holy. Who hasn't experienced the holy as we've watched spring come again? Who hasn't experienced the holy when we've either held a little baby or held the hand of someone who's dying? Who hasn't experienced the holy? When we've seen someone find just some little modicum of hope and step yet another day into their future. The holy, it's, it's all around us. Last Sunday after I preached, I got an email from someone who said, this isn't a criticism, it's just a question. I wish you had said more about how exposing systemic sin can disempower it. That's what I preached about. About sin not just being our own individual sin, although it is that, but it's also this larger systemic sin and how by naming it, we disempower it. The writer said, I see more of the former exposing it, but less of the latter where it gets disempowered. Oh, but on Easter morning, 
on Easter morning we say sin is disempowered. We say that God has done and is still doing this resurrection thing. Nina shares with us occasionally about experiences she has, not in detail, but just in general with counseling men and women, boys and girls, and allowing them to let God break through to their lives and let something new be born out of the ashes of their past. Makes me think of Jesus saying after the disciples returned, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning out of the sky. You can see hatred and death and evil and despair disempowered. We see it. You see it in a church that overcomes our fears and our traditions and our we've never done it that way in order to love and open the doors for all of God's children. You see it in the city of Boston, Massachusetts, where last year there was a bomb that went off that just tore through that city's heart. And this year they come back and they say as a community, we own the finish line. We have hope. We're not going to give in to despair and death. You can see it in acts of civil disobedience, acts of kind of foolishness, if you will. Like the group of Mennonites who were protesting our country's warring ways, impersonating Joshua and the people of God fighting against the city of Jericho, the walled city. This little band of people started marching around the nuclear weapons site, blowing on toy trumpets. Well, we can scratch our perpetual itch of uncertainty and doubt and wait for more proof, or or we can start to see life through Easter eyes, to see that God's not done. Even in the small things, even in these tokens of resurrection, which by definition are going to be local and small and slow and humble and oh so subtle. So subtle that they can either be misinterpreted or missed entirely by the powers and principalities who thrive on speed and power and bigness and bravado. But it's our story. Jesus came out of the tomb that day. He didn't throw that stone aside and say, where's Herod? Where's Pilate? Where's Caesar? Get him here. I'm going to kick him in the rear. No, instead, he came out of that tomb speaking words of peace. And who were the first witnesses? Women. Not the king's. Not the people in power, but the people without the power. And they mistook him for a gardener. Maybe he was planting strawberries that morning. Planting little seeds of life and hope for the future. The first fruit of resurrection and new life. These resurrection tokens are like little tiny fissures in the foundation of a large structure. 
The structure is so large you hardly even notice it. But if you look closely, here are these little cracks, just little almost imperceptible cracks here, there, there. And you can barely feel the rumbling. But soon, the whole structure comes down. Like the Mennonites said after they blew their trumpets at the nuclear weapon site. And the reporter said, well, the walls didn't come tumbling down. He replied, oh, but they will. Keep watching. They'll come down. Love is stronger than death. Sisters and brothers, and unto that death, we have now returned. Glory to God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. May the truth of Easter, of Jesus rising from the dead, so permeate our eyesight that we see the world differently and live accordingly, that we might find our way again to your glory now and always. Amen.